Hello friends, um, welcome to spring. We have been on a little bit of a unintentional break for the last couple of months. Um, part of permission to be for me and I think a shared sentiment between Olivia and Beck and myself is permission to feel into the rhythms that are presenting themselves and so while we recorded this conversation that you're about to hear a couple months ago keeping up with the rhythms of life has been challenging uh, of late and so we appreciate your grace in that um, as we explore our beingness Just a few things. Um, If you haven't signed up for the Permission to Be newsletter, we, our hope is to usually send out one of of those a month. You can sign up on permissiontobepodcast.com. And um, if you are looking for ways to support the podcast or also support me, Tommy, your co-host, as I continue to build Uh, this work of creating holistic um, restorative uh, environments in which we can explore our beingness in which we can practice healing things like mutual aid um, and explore theories like abolition to create the world that works for all of us I invite you over to join my patreon community that's uh, patreon.com forward slash Tommy all good. There's a couple tiers that you can participate in and I'll definitely explain more of that later. Um, but just wanted to invite you into that work and process and support. I would really appreciate it. So if that's something that's speaking to you, uh, feel free to reach out to us and ask questions for clarification or let's have a chat right our conversation today is with dr christina cleveland and we center the conversation around the book god is a black woman and as i'm speaking this it is a holy week for the christian tradition um And I just think that this conversation really um, gives us another angle to think about Holy Week and our beingness and and God, whatever that, however that, that shows up for us, right? And so I hope that in this conversation you find something that's freeing for you, something that's liberating for you and I really hope that you'll go get Dr. Christina Cleveland's book because it is so impactful um, and she shares so generously um, her of her experience and so I'll see you on the other side Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. 
Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. What do we do? Uh, we, we leave our F-bombs in and... Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're going to keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak, that I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. The mission to be. Uh, actually, my, my my literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Hello, friends. Welcome to Permission to Be. It's Tommy here, and... um. Yeah, I'm kind of starstruck at the moment because just learned last week we will have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Christina Cleveland. Um, and if you don't know her, um, if I believed in shame, I would say shame on you, but uh, <laughs> shame on you. Um, but Dr. <laughs> Christina Cleveland integrates social, sci uh, social science research and spirituality um, at the intersections of liberation from white supremacy and patriarchy. She is um, the author of God is a Black Woman. And we are just, wow, wow. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me permission to be uh, here. Uh, um. I feel like this has become our tradition for this year, but like we kind of did a check-in randomly the other day and it it's just been a really nice way to start off conversation. So um, I, we like to ask, how are you coming in to the space today? Mm. Um, and in the pursuit of vulnerability, we all answer it. So I will go first um, since I asked and say that I am coming in both t intention and um, also in a bit of relaxation. I've had a lot of meetings today and I've been like working, um, working on multiple fronts. I have a project that uh, ha is trying, I'm trying to finish up, but also um, is bringing up a lot of, internal work of how I'm in relationship with people, um, how, why am I fighting white supremacy the way that I am fighting it with corporations right now? Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I did a meditation today and that kind of set me in a contemplative tone, but um, what about you, Dr. Cleveland? Mm, I am coming a bit, a bit tired and a little bit cranky, to be honest. <laughs> I'm a morning person. So, um, 
it's like 7:40 where I am. And so, you know, it's a little late for me. I'm usually heading towards bed. Um, so I just noticed that about myself when I was a, a grad student and I, I supervised 25 research assistants in my lab. People are always like, don't screw up after 7 p.m. Like Christina will, <laughs> Christina will all of a sudden not be a gracious person. <laughs> our lab was open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And they were always just like, just be on your best behavior after 7 p.m. She's like, turns into a completely different person. Um, so, yeah, just noticing that about myself, but also really happy to be here. And um, feeling not, I'm not feeling cranky about being here. I'm feeling cranky because I was just working on social media and I hate social media. <laughs> oh, say that. Say I don't that. like being, say I don't that. like being squished into a box. You know, I hate that. And so we're my whole team, we're going to go off social media in April, but we're just finishing out kind of getting through this book launch. And so I was just working on that for like three hours. So I'm like, ah, so I'm glad oh. to have a spacious, just conversation, relationship, just connection mm-hmm. and not just like growth. How can I get people to stop scrolling? <laughs> Lord help us. Uh, that makes so much sense though that you would be cranky with like your body is like it's time to wind down. And I've been in this highly like volatile, disrespectful ugh, dehumanizing, place. yes, yeah, yes. toxic space. Yeah, totally. Uh. <laughs> so yeah. Hey friends, I love the check-in just as a way of creating some transition space. And this check-in became really funny because at this point we started having technical difficulties (laughs) with our recording. (laughs) So uh, just wanted to give you the context that where we pick back up in the conversation is after those technical difficulties um, and that makes its way into our check-in space. Shitting me. Okay, well, Olivia, how are you coming into the space? Let's drink some wine. Okay, now I'm coming in. Olivia, you better get it right this time. We've had to start over two times because of you. Jesus. We're looking for perfection. (laughs) As the senior senior citizen here, let's see if I can even, I mean, I am very much the senior citizen. Let's see if I can remember what I said. Introspective. I'm coming into this space introspective. Oh. And I actually am introspective and joyous because you know what? Laughter really is good medicine. Um, and I just feel the endorphins being released the more I laugh. Um, but um, I, um, I binge listened to your book and then I went back and reread um, with the Kindle copy certain chapters. And one of the things I had communicated to Tommy and Becca throughout is I don't really have questions because I live so much of this. But what resonated with me most about the book is I have talked a lot and I've even written a lot about what I experienced in terms of actions and, and specific things that happened. But what you tapped into is 
what it was like for the events to happen, but how you felt, how it was embodied, how mm. it affected you mentally, how it affected you emotionally. And I just so appreciate it, voice being given to it. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes if you have not experienced it, some of my friends who haven't had the that, that, that white evangelical experience, they don't fully, it's like they hear me, but they don't really get what I'm talking about when I'm trying to describe why I left and haven't gone back <laughs> since 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like you gave voice to so much of my angst and so many of the experiences, both in my family and in my church and in my professional life, because I'm part of the great resignation. (laughs) Um, All of that is just so much of it was, was parallel. So I feel very Mm. introspective. Mm. Third time's the charm audience. (laughs) I love that I'm holding right now the joy of, of the imperfection of this environment and also like the impact of, what you said, um, but I'm, I'm really excited to get to the to the dialogue portion. But Becca, how are you? <laughs> right now, I am joyful. <laughs> that was a little fun trip we just took. Um, I mean, I think I'm going to stick with that. Like it is that that's the emotion that's emoting from me. And uh, I will say that I have been listening to um, God is a Black Woman for your work, Dr. Christina, for the last 48 hours, whenever I got in the car, whenever I can pop my ear pod in. And the way you communicate, the vulnerability in which you graciously show up in, being an empathic person, there is just a deep feeling of sitting, of having the privilege of getting to hear your story. Mm-hmm. As a white identifying person, I have experienced emotional religious trauma through my own lens but it is not the same and it is not the same that I can understand. And so it was, I was honored to be able to hear that, to hear your words. Uh, listeners, Dr. Christina communicates in a way. I just, I, it's hard to express. You just need to listen, read, sit with, take time honor so i guess maybe the word is joy because we were being silly and having fun little glitches (laughs) but i come in in a spirit of wanting to honor who you are as a human being thank you why don't you take some space to introduce yourself to the audience sure sure talk about this incredible book um it it almost doesn't i know for me this will sort of be like a uh, it's going to be like i have uh austin channing brown's i'm still here like 
y'all's mm-hmm. book are going to go right together as like my my bible a little <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. so um mm-hmm. yeah the 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 floor is yours Oh, thank you. Well, it's so wonderful to be here with you all. And I'm really honored um, by what both Olivia and Becca said just about um, feeling so connected to my experience. I um, I was raised as a scientist in a super intellectual Black Christian family and my PhDs in sciences. And so when I decided to write a book that was like at least half memoir, I was petrified just because mm-hmm. I was not trained in helping set the scene and bringing people along on my journey and sharing, you know, helping people connect emotionally with my experiences. I mean, I could barely even do that for myself, much less write in a way that ushered people into that. <laughs> and I love, um, you know, being, being someone who is very much shaped by white patriarchy. I love perfection and dominance. And I don't like doing things that I'm not good at. <laughs> and especially, I don't like, mm-hmm. I don't like publicly experimenting. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. like a big part of me wanted to go get an MFA in creative writing real quick before I tried to write the book, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I know how to talk theory and how to talk data, but, and there is some of that in the book, well, quite a bit, right? But I'm not trained to basically write a narrative, you know, write a story. And so um, I just remember really leaning into the sacred black feminine this connection with the divine and saying hey this is your story and so if if we're if i'm going to share it you got to help me (laughs) and i remember going i was living in taos new mexico for most of 2020 the pandemic year or the first pandemic year and um i would just go for three four hour walks um before i would sit down to write because I wanted to just be as much in my body as possible before I before I even tried to share, you know, how I felt in this particular context or how I felt in this encounter on my pilgrimage. And so it just feels very beautiful and honoring to hear that some of that work has bear some fruit and people are experiencing the book in a way that's like really picturesque and emotionally connected. And yeah, so a big part of my journey has been piecing myself back together so that I can connect with my own emotions enough to even be able to express them. (laughs) Because that was not allowed in my home growing up and that was not allowed in the church spaces I grew up in and that was not allowed. I mean, black women aren't allowed to really be anything anywhere and definitely not loud and emotional. And so, yeah, it's been really beautiful to like start to weave myself back together with the divine. So yeah, so I I guess for people who are learning about the book now through this conversation, it's basically my journey of healing from white patriarchal religious conditioning and turning towards what I call, what I now call the sacred black feminine, which is the God who is with and for Black women because she is herself a Black woman and it shares my journey walking 400 miles across central France in the middle of winter in search of some ancient Black Madonna statues and all these mountain villages and the encounters that I have with each one of them and how they transformed and healed me and spoke, spoke directly to my pain as a Black woman and also healed my identity and gave me hope as a Black woman. And so it's like a like a pilgrimage story. It's also got a lot of social science and theology and history and got kind of a mix of it all. It's it's a joyful book, even though there are some intense parts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm on chapter two 
right no chapter three right now and i'm having to go slowly especially as a non-binary person really in between Mm -hmm. um which i'm really grateful that you named in the book as well regarding Mm -hmm. like your approach of naming the sacred as feminine and the Mm -hmm. important as woman and the importance of that um as I'm identifying both with my mother's experience, but reckoning with my socialization as male, mm-hmm. there's like these intense um, emotions coming up of like, it's like my body is like just in this posture of weeping mm-hmm. um, as there's empathy. And, and probably because that th- there's still aspects of that relationship that can't be like I want it necessarily um, mm-hmm. as as intimate as I want it um, because of the boundaries that are necessary. But then also having that empathy of like, I don't think she has access to heal these parts of herself that are, you know, patriarchal white supremacist uh, system and white, white male God <laughs> has mm-hmm. imposed upon her body. Um, mm-hmm. for 60 plus years mm-hmm. yeah and so maybe would you like to talk about for you why this image of god as black woman was so instrumental uh, mm-hmm. to healing yourself yeah yeah you know um even though i grew up in a in a black family even though I grew up in a lot of black church spaces, I'm kind of this like hybrid. I grew up in a lot of white evangelical spaces because of where we were situated in our neighborhood, in our town. And then I also grew up in a lot of black church spaces because my family is this basically black Pentecostal royalty. And so I was always in those spaces too. But in both of those spaces, there was just a lot of white patriarchal religion, um, especially because I was in black Pentecostal spaces that are pretty conservative theologically. It's all about the holiness tradition. And so theologically, the two white evangelicalism and the the black Pentecostal spaces I was in were not that different, even though Mm -hmm. culturally they were quite Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Um, And so, but in both of those spaces, I learned to be afraid of a God who was distant, who was keeping tabs. If he paid any attention to me, it was to keep tabs. (laughs) If he loved me at all, it was because he was so awesome that he was able to somehow conjure up, no, not just conjure up the love, but like, pushed down his disgust for me long enough through the sacrifice of his child to somehow sort of love me. But it's only because he's so awesome. And mm. I'm, you know, that he's somehow able to get past my humanity, <laughs> you know? And so, and then of course I was raised in um, part of the kind of holiness, black Pentecostal fasting tradition. I was raised to um, fast and pray for my future spouse starting when I was five. So learning how to sort of like control my body silence my body's feedback in the service of pleasing this God who was only going to give me good things if I was pious enough. Pious being mm. like mm. chaste, sexually thin and living according to looking as, as much as I could like the standards of white, like patriarchal beauty. And um, so, yeah, so I just grew up with all of that. And it wasn't until really my 30s that I started to like look at this connection between our understanding of the divine, sort of our spiritual imagination around who is sacred and who's profane and how I was treated as a black woman first through Trayvon Martin's death and then the ensuing um, Black Lives Matter movement that rose that really heightened my consciousness around black Christ 
But then when Trump got elected, I started to realize, okay, we also have a problem with the gender of Christ too. Like I don't just hate white Christ. I also hate male Christ <laughs> because mm-hmm. I see how they intersect to, a, to be a white male God that basically makes it possible for someone like Trump to get elected, even though black people, immigrants, disabled people, women, everybody is just getting thrown under the bus, right? So it's just like, okay, yep. we have to completely yep. rethink. And so that's what sent me on this journey towards God as a black woman. Like, how do I find an image of the divine that looks like me, can relate to my experience? And I didn't have to look far. I mean, the black Madonna was always there. I think because I grew up Protestant, it was like, ooh, those sketchy Catholics, they're not even Christian, you know? Um, and, and then also she's sort of like, rogue Catholicism too like most Catholics don't even really know who the Black Madonna is because she's so witchy and subversive and they've tried to silence her and so yeah I just was like starting to look for images and I found the Black Madonna and I was I I was immediately transformed like I remember walking back to my mailbox in Durham North Carolina and I had like one of those like u-shaped driveways you know like a rounder Mm -hmm. so I had you know you have to it takes like 30 seconds to walk back to your house or whatever yeah yeah. um and so I'm flipping through the books these Black Madonna books that I ordered it's like Trump just Trump's like getting inaugurated that week you know so I'm flipping through these books and all of a sudden I just see the image and immediately my entire like I I like realized I had been holding in my breath my whole life. My gut just like completely relaxed. My shoulders dropped. My jaw like unclenched itself. And I was just like every single question that I've had since I was a little girl trying to figure out how this good and loving God could possibly kill all the people in the Noah's Ark story. Every single question I've had since then is completely affirmed and seen in this one image. is who God really is and I can find myself in her body I can find my divinity in her in in her divinity and so I spent a couple years reading and studying the black Madonna but eventually I was just like I gotta go meet her you know like I just have to go and so I found this um you know there are about 450 black Madonnas around the world um I did do short trips to go see like individual ones with like the the patron saint of Costa Rica is La Negrita, the Black Madonna. So I went to go see her. There's like what there's she's one main like Black Madonna in Costa Rica, but everywhere you look in Costa Rica, you see her. Like people have these like little grottos, like very poor, out of the way, rural people have these grottos made. I call them garbage grottos. They're like made of like aluminum cans and mm-hmm. bottles and like milk caps and everything. And they're these gorgeous shrines to her so she's everywhere you look mm-hmm. but um so you know I would go see you know I, I went to do some individual ones but then I was like I just really want to go like spend time with the Black Madonna and so I went to this region in France that's known for its devotion to her because it's a really old area that has had a devotion to like the dark goddesses of old like Isis and Demeter and Sybil and everyone and so all of her chapels are built on top of these old pagan sites mm. Because oh. people just continued worshiping ISIS when the Catholic Church came and gentrified everything. They're like, okay, whatever. Like, clearly, 
you're not cool with us worshiping ISIS, so we'll just worship the Black Madonna. And they literally just had the temples built on, like the churches built on top of the existing temples. So it's just an area where like it's so magical. The entire area is surrounded by volcanic rock mountains. And um, mm. it's there's tons of hot springs in the area. That's another reason why there are a lot of Black Madonnas there because people would go to be healed and they would encounter the black madonna so it's just like really magical out of the way place in france where there are like 40 black madonnas in a small area so i went and i walked to 18 mm. of them <laughs> wow which was like such an adventure yeah i'm not outdoorsy so it was interesting <laughs> you're not <laughs> i'm not re- no reading your yeah. pilgr- about your pilgrimage I, that is a little surprising yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm totally, I actually call myself indoorsy. <laughs> so it was really just me wanting to connect with the earth and my body. I mean, I guess I'm more outdoorsy now since then. You know, I was almost four years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just someone who really felt robbed as a Black woman by the way that white supremacy domestic servitude, enslavement, environmental racism have just robbed my relationship to the earth. And so I was like, I'm in so many of these black Madonnas are deeply connected to the earth. Many of them were like found in a forest or found in a spring or found in the earth. And so, and many of them are made from like trees or rock from the earth. And so I was just like, part of this journey is connecting with the great mother, who's also a black woman, the actual earth. And then also my own body and the land on which these Black Madonnas have come from. And so it was just sort of like, but yeah, I mean, there are parts in the story where I like kind of talk about how, yeah, I was not super trained on how to navigate, like how to like climb mountains, do backcountry backpacking, <laughs> stay warm when it's wet. Like that's just, it, sure. yeah. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, but it, yeah, and I got a, I got some coaching, you know. Um, it was just a matter of me learning to listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, my I best friend's the that. head of outdoor Afro for New England, so sh- I had people who could give me advice. But I was also just like, I'm on a spiritual journey, okay? Like, don't bog me down with like gear. You know, <laughs> this is spiritual. <laughs> and she's like okay good luck with that you know what I mean like she's like we need to teach you how to like build a fire we need to teach you how to like build a fortress like a shelter if you need that you I'm have like, to no, survive no, no, exactly I'm like it's spiritual if I perish I perish you know like just kind of kind of dramatic I'm a Leo sun moon and rising so yeah yeah <laughs> you just yep I am very much an outdoor person, but one of those that that you went in during the, where you like, it was like 18 miles up or something. And then you found the the factory that built. um, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. The distillery. I Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that was was a 42 mile walk. Well, it was a 42 mile walk total. And I think in one day I'd had to do 21 miles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was all uphill. Uphill, right. Mm Yes. So I had, so, you know, I was just unprepared. Like I had run out of water. Now I have like a, um, a water filter, you know, like a portable water filter, but I didn't uh-huh. have anything like that back then. And so I would, you know, now I know I could have like melted some, some like snow, like, but I didn't even know how to do any of that. But I did encounter like just at the, in the nick of time, you know, this like, Essential oil distillery. Yeah, that was it. Essential oil distillery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah. And they like, you know, gave me water and they gave me some salve for my knees and it was really wonderful. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, there were a lot of experiences like that where it's just like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get home tonight or I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. But and then someone, a random French person who didn't even speak English would be like, help me. You know, because I don't speak mm. any French either. So mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. <laughs> Whoa. Like, okay. So I, I know that like, I feel like so much of the answer is, you know, the, you know, God's a black woman, the divine feminine. But literally, how did you sit and nav? Like, I am terrified for you, and you're here, and it's over, and you're safe. <laughs> but I'm also thinking about a time I had to hike in the mountains, and the sun went down, and I was like, "Oh dear Lord, they're gonna have to fly that helicopter in here. I'm never doing this again." No. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that this trip taught me about myself is that, and this is, and it was really fun to encounter this within myself and also with the divine. I'm extremely wild. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of I'm not for a lot of people. Like only only someone like me, given my context and how controlling it was, only someone like me would even be able to break free from that. Like there's tons of people who never leave the plantation because it's actually really hard to leave the plantation. And mm-hmm. you have to be kind of wild and a little bit nuts to even mm-hmm. think you can do it. To even think mm-hmm. I'm I'm too sacred for this and I'm going to act on that. You know, a lot of mm. other, and so part of it's just the wildness of my personality. And it was, it's been really fun to encounter that in, in the divine because like the, the black Madonna is super wild and like unpredictable mm. in some ways too. And you see that a lot in like the black Madonna iterations within voodoo. Erzuli Dantor is also the black Madonna, you know, and she's just like wild and fun and sexual and cannot be contained you know and so that's been really can you say fun. that name again Urzuli Dantor she's okay. like um she's like one of the most famous um like uh, deities or like images of the divine in voodoo hoodoo and she's actually the black madonna of poland they're the same and so you see these like really cool connections between different like the black madonna is so interface basically mm-hmm. yeah but um yeah. I was gonna say I, that's could that confused me a lot, I guess, because typically for me, I would think Black Madonna may be some part of Africa, but I was like super also, confused yes. with it being mm-hmm. like, oh my god, what, it, it's yeah. the European centric, but we're also divesting from white male god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like I think the Black Madonna is just a portal mm. into the sacred Black feminine. And the sacred black feminine transcends all race and continents and all that stuff. And so some of the work I've done with my Patreon community since my uh, pilgrimage is how does the black Madonna connect with Oshun? How does the black Madonna get, open us up to Kali of Hinduism, right? It's like this, she's just a portal. Yeah. Um, but going back to what I was saying about the wildness is, so I learned a lot about myself that I'm just really wild. And then also I learned that all the fear that I experience as a black woman is not due to uncertainty. Like I'm not afraid of where I'm going to sleep tonight when I'm out on pilgrimage. I'm not afraid of, you know, a bear coming to get me or something like that. Mm-hmm. The fear I have is due to white supremacist and patriarchal structure. Mm-hmm. So out on my right? Like uh, uncertainty, um, natural challenges, 
being in the natural world and not really knowing, not knowing if I have the skills to handle all that, like that's not scary to me. What's scary is my racist colleagues at Duke in the name of Jesus coming for me during a department meeting. <laughs> and so I just explained the way, gosh, like I'm actually, actually I'm, I'm pretty good with uncertainty. I'm pretty good with ambiguity. I'm pretty good with questions. Like those are things that, and I'm pretty good with adventure and like not knowing what's going to happen next, even in the mm-hmm. physical world. like the heart of what it means to be human right we're not supposed to always be like afraid that we're not going to have what we need like if i don't have what i need it's because of capitalism it's not because it's not because the universe is hostile the universe is not hostile the universe is always providing it's always you know and so i was on my pilgrimage and it's like random people would just like give me rides or help me find a way home or you know and it's like okay that's that's how the world's supposed to work yes Wow. So, mm-hmm. And when we do feel that uncertainty, other people come in with wisdom. This mm. is my experience. This is what I know. Here's I can help you navigate, you know. And so it's just. Oh, wow. Yeah. Such a lesson in the individual to the collective. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. The world's not scary. It's like white male God is scary. Yes. <laughs> mm. That I think. You know, especially as I continue to progress through the book, like, I was like, I just want to buy this for everybody, every black woman. (laughs) Because, like, I've never heard it put that way. I'm I'm not afraid of uncertainty. Like, and then it makes sense as you're telling some of the memoir pieces of your story. Like, you've had to adapt, be adaptive to sort of a lot of unpredictability in your life and so of course like this aspect of wildness comes but then the things that have actually imposed harm upon you oh Uh. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think spiritually you know i was taught in in these white patriarchal religious spaces i was taught certainty and steadfastness are holy Mm -hmm. and so we don't ask questions even when we're given data that invites curiosity and invites a revisioning, yes. we're taught, nope, I'm just going to believe, believe. So, I mean, I just remember even when I was like, you know, when I got kicked out of Sunday school when I was seven, for asking how could a good and loving God kill everybody in Noah's flood, my, the response was, God is good all the time, all the time, God yeah. is good. Okay, mm. but I don't, but this looks violent. Okay, but God is good. Also, basically, there's something wrong with you if you can't toe the party line. And it's an unfaithfulness. It's a disobedience. I remember my mom used to call disobedience witchcraft, which is mm. just an interesting pairing. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I was always taught you just obey, you just stick to the line. And and it's like, and if I'm not trusting God, it's because I, 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 there's something inherently rotten about me. It's God's always trustworthy, even though I was getting data and having experiences that suggested otherwise. <laughs> and I'm sitting here saying, wow, yeah. like, that's not my, like, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I need to change the wow from yes. Cause it is everything you're saying. I'm like, yep, yeah, live that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's 
interesting. I don't know if you're having the sort of the same reaction, Olivia. I grew up at the intersections of, I say, Jehovah's Witness and Black Church mm. and also white evangelicalism. But just like, again, I'm having that same experience of each going down the list. Check, check, <laughs> check. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Remembering like the the purity pieces for me, especially mm-hmm. when like my attraction to men surfaced like all Mm. all of a sudden I was to be watched and I was something I wasn't doing something right that uh, or or somehow wasn't faithful enough Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah Olivia you were shaking your head so I was like what's going on over there (laughs) (laughs) so so my religious experience is so interesting because like if I were to list all the ones I've been through I went to Catholic school (laughs) so Mm. immersed in Catholicism when I was night then I was AME Methodist I've been CME Methodist in the ninth grade, my parents became Mormons. They wow. believe they're the, oh yeah. <laughs> so everybody in my family did, but me, and they believe they're the only true church. And just something in my 13 year old self just couldn't accept that. So I never joined. So I was outcast, you know, because of that. So that was through mm-hmm. high school. And then I got to college and was like, I'm not dealing with any of it. And then right out of college, I discovered evangelicalism and, um, so that took me down a whole other journey. But the constant theme across all of them <laughs> is the turning off of critical thinking. And one thing I will say about myself, I am innately intellectually curious. So like yourself, I have journals out there in my garage back but when I was 11 and 12 years old asking mm-hmm. questions like, mm-hmm. like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, so he killed all the people. And then growing Mm -hmm. up in Germany, my mother took me to concentration Mm -hmm. camps. I've stood in the gas chambers Mm -hmm. and it's like, Mm -hmm. but my, according to my church, Jewish Jesus sent all the Jews in Auschwitz to hell because they didn't pray the sinner's prayer, but he's a Jew, but Mm -hmm. they didn't say the sinner's prayer, but it's their fault because they were born in Poland or, you know, Europe Mm -hmm. in the forties and it, it's just like, it just didn't make sense to me. But, well, that shows doubt. That shows a lack of faith. And so mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. mottos that I have right now is I have learned to lean into mystery when certainty is elusive. Mm-hmm. And I am so comfortable with, I don't know. Because all mm-hmm. those years that I said, I know that I know that I know, I didn't really know. I was indoctrinated. Yeah. Um, and so I began to question And then 2015 happened and my church, the same church that said that, you know, Bill Clinton was immoral. And if he Mm -hmm. is not faithful to his Mm -hmm. wife, he can't leave the country. They were all of a sudden, okay, with a thrice Mm -hmm. divorced, genital grabbing adulterer. And then Mm -hmm. things went south from there. And it just got to the point where I could no longer reconcile it. But I had to let go of so much fear of fear of acknowledging that I don't belong. I I, I don't believe this stuff anymore. Um, I worked in a very evangelical company. So that's why all the stuff that Duke, we're opening, opening up with prayer meeting, you know, Mm -hmm. but then there's all this subtle uh, racism. And the other thing that I awaken to that, that you address in your book is I thought, I'm in this multicultural church. The the final church that I was in was probably like 85% white, black. And then I was at a company where I was the only black person. There was one Asian, everybody else. And so it's like, they're open-minded. We're in this post-racial era. And then when I found out, oh no, you were just the acceptable Negro. 
You were just the acceptable mm-hmm. Negro. When I started questioning mm-hmm. stuff, all of a sudden, it's mm-hmm. like all the guns turned on me. And all of a sudden, I've gone from pet model employee to threat just because I'm questioning. And so, yeah, I, I experienced all of that. But I just came to a place where I don't have all the answers and that's okay. And I have more peace with that than I do with trying to contort myself to believe that a Jewish Messiah sent 6 million Jews to hell because they didn't say the sinner's prayer <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, some of the, the, the other things. It's, it's, it's so much that you covered that is just my story. The purity culture is my story. Um, like you, I've been in the, the black church version of, you know, Pentecostally speaking tongues, all of that. Mm-hmm. I've been, I mean, Mormonism, that's a whole, I could write a book just on those four years. Mm-hmm. I have been exposed to all of it and I have more peace in the last five years mm-hmm. since I have left than I did the prior 50 mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was in it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, freedom is not free, but it's so worth it. It is. But I think it's really, really, really hard for a long time. (laughs) And I think most people can't, and they're in like the plantation is always throwing carrots at you to try to get you to come Mm -hmm. back, you know, and because you're dealing with separation from friends, families, spiritual spaces potentially like access to resources like health insurance and an income and all that good stuff. And it's like, it's so easy to turn back. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people really struggle to get free um, because there's everything in our society is designed to keep us on the plantation and everything in our, in our faith tradition is designed to keep us on the plantation. And it's really, really, it's a wilderness for a long time. And we aren't born, we, we are not, desi- we aren't trained for the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We're trained mm-hmm. for the suburbs. <laughs> That's the whole word right there. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. So it was really powerful for me to be out in the wilderness and discover my true self there, the wildness of myself, mm-hmm. you know? And be like, this is actually what my soul has always longed for. And not to say that there weren't lots of tears and trauma therapy sessions and all the things, but it's like, this is what I've been longing for my whole life. This sacred wilderness space where literally anything could happen next spiritually. And yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why people don't ever get there. Mm-hmm. I think more people are, more people share their stories. I think sometimes it's helpful for people to hear other people's stories and that, you know. That is extremely helpful. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that's been hard for me because there's still, like, I will have discussions in certain environments that I won't have in certain other ones because I'm just, I'm not ready for the blowback. Like, right, like right now, some of this stuff is still tender and, you know, I, I, I don't want to deal with all the, the incoming fire and everybody's opinion and, oh, you're, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a lot. But when I think of probably one of the most touching things that happened to me in the last five years is when my youngest child, when we started to pull away from all this, and she said, I'm so glad you're where you are because I stopped believing this stuff in middle school. <laughs> but I was afraid to say anything. And she's like, I've been questioning it since middle school, but, and I just, it it touched my heart in one sense, 
But then I understand why she was afraid because, you know, when you're raised in that environment, it's like, it's almost like it's, it's an insult to your honor if your children don't toe the line. I, I recall that story from the book where you talked about the pastor whose daughter had gotten pregnant. And that, that, that made me cry. <laughs> they, well, why don't you tell that part of the story? You can do it better, better than I can. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a poignant story. Um, Cause it really just shows like how patriarchy works. Like you're responsible for all the people who are under you too. But I think I was six years old when this happened. And um, we had a pastor who teenage but adult daughter I think she was like 18 or 19 at the time got pregnant um even though she wasn't married and so they kind of like paraded her in front of the church and essentially put her on trial in front of the church and and of course the guy was nowhere around so I just remember being there as a six-year-old just so perplexed like not really understanding what was going on but noticing that this was like essentially a, a lynching you know like I felt her shame I didn't understand why the guy wasn't there even though I didn't really understand the biology of sex I was like I, I, I have a mommy and a daddy where's the daddy like there's got to be a daddy you know like just noticing that yeah. that this guy wasn't there and then afterwards we had dinner or lunch with um, a parishioner a fellow parishioner who was a, um, a like a family physician and he apparently he he was ha- I just remember him sharing so openly I actually fact checked this with my mom when I was writing the book a couple of years ago just to make sure I was remembering it correctly and she confirmed this how you know you remembered it accurately but he was like telling us that he had the, the pastor had invited him in to come and examine the daughter and determine if she really had had sex or not so there was so then this, this physician is telling us at lunch that he checked her hymen and confirmed that it had not been penetrated, which says everything about like how illiterate he is about sexuality, because it's totally like hymen has nothing to do with like really anything in terms of virginity and virginity is a social construct. But anyways, yep, yep. this, this father, this father pastor had invited the physician to come in and examine his adult daughter against her consent. Maybe she consented, but in a patriarchal sort of sense where she had to say yes, you know, like, and then he's telling us about it at lunch saying she actually didn't really have sex because the hymen is still intact. So then he he confirmed, he he basically not confirmed, but concluded that they were having sex and and then there was just semen flying around. Like I remember that term, there was just semen flying around. And I just remember as a little child being like so overwhelmed and terrorized in that moment at that lunch table. And I just remember thinking, because I had just graduated kindergarten and I was like, we did stranger danger training and no one's allowed to touch your private parts if, if you don't give them permission. I don't understand why he's touching her private parts. And I don't understand why he's talking about her private parts. You know what I mean? Like I was just like so confused as a child. And then my mom just said, like, see, look at this is what happens. If you have sex, God's gonna, God will reveal it to everyone because God sees everything. And even if you sort of have sex, God will get you pregnant and then your dad will lose his job and then everybody will be talking about, you know, as just a six year old, I was like inducted into what I call white male God's liturgy of fear. Like this is how he controls us. This is how he he keeps us in line is that he makes a spectacle of anybody who dares to do something different.
And that pastor resigned, right? The pastor. Well, he off. Well, no, I didn't. Sh- I didn't go into it. He offered to resign. That's he offered to resign. Okay. In, mm-hmm. in the end, the elder board forgave him and let him stay. Forgave him. Yeah. Uh huh. So in the end, he stayed on. But the key part was they were looking for his resignation, and they wanted him to know that he had. They had the power over him because he had failed. And again, this sort of patriarchal, like we are God and we're going to decide your moral standing and your, your moral authority is outside of you completely. And also you don't have moral authority if you can't control everyone who's around you. Mm, So it's just like this perfect picture of how white male God works, you know, and that, and I kind of connected to my own story where I like, I learned that discipleship, spiritual leadership is like whipping everyone around you into shape whipping yourself and then whipping everyone around you in shape. So I was like, you know, like I had a little accountability group that I like sort of forced people to be a part of when I was in college. (laughs) And that's what I call myself (laughs) white male God in blackface. Because I'm like, I was, Um, I was doing everything white male God wanted me to do. White male God is not just in white men and white male God is not just in white people and men, you know, but I was, I remember just chastising them. Y'all are dating the wrong people. You're drinking too much. You're in the football frat. That's not holy. You know, just stuff like that. And it's like, wait a second. What was I trying to do? <laughs> like, mm. None of my business. Nobody mm. asked me to be in charge of them spiritually. I was just, because that's what I had been taught. I'm a, oh, I'm mm-hmm. a leader. I'm the leader of the campus ministry. So that means it's my job to make sure that nobody's out there getting drunk at frats on Friday night. You know, and it's yeah. like, what? But that's what, that's what we're taught. Mm-hmm. So it's really powerful for me to encounter the virgin warrior who's this like 16th century black Madonna who just completely redefines everything we thought we knew about purity and to like be a part of her process of loving by letting go, letting go of myself, letting go of others, not needing to control. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's beautiful. And I did walk 18 miles in the, in the rain to see her. <laughs> mm. And she's the three yeah. foot tall one, one, right? Um, no, she's no. well. She's she's approximately three feet. I think like, she's pretty typical for like a um, like a fifteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, or sixteenth century black Madonna. The the little tiny okay. ones are the medieval ones. Yeah. Okay, okay. But yeah, she's uh, okay. kind of like she's kind of average. Some of them are life size, but she's not. She's like three feet. I'm not sure which one you're talking about. That's three feet tall. But uh, I will. I will. I it's okay. It's back. okay because there's yeah. a bunch in them. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> I don't expect you. There's no. This isn't a test. <laughs> I was just. I was I just wondering if you. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just wondering if there was like if there was one in particular that you were thinking of. But yeah. Uh, I was I was I was on my walk today, and just one of the features that you had pointed out, uh, out as I was listening, um, you were like, "This Madonna is taller than the app." average she stands about three feet and then hers you were talking kind of describing her stature um mm. and i might have remembered something about some armor as well oh um, yeah, yeah okay yeah you're mm-hmm. talking yeah you're talking about the god of harriet the black madonna of mulan yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, okay. that Joan of Arc prayed to because you're in chapter three. Yeah, and that's the yes. one I talk about. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and so yeah. she's she's like um she's pretty tall for a medieval one. Yeah, because she's old. So mm. the fact so a lot of the medieval ones are a lot smaller. They're like a foot, eighteen inches, but she's like three feet tall. And then on top of it, 
she's got this like whole kind of production around her. And so in order to see her, you actually have to look up. I actually just went to go visit her last month when I was in um, France. I went to visit her three times actually, because she's only like an hour from where I live. And like, you have to, I can, you can't even get a good picture of her without like a selfie stick because she's so tall. Mm. She's so propped wow. up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she, and she's like covered, she's covered in black paint. Um, she's wooden, but she's covered in black paint. So she kind of looks like she's got armor on. And she's just mm. like this fierce black Madonna that um, Joan of Arc just loved. There were two black Madonnas that Joan of Arc like really loved. And she's one of them. And the other one's an mm. Orleon. Yeah. So mm. Joan of Arc went to pray to her often before she went to battle, which is kind of cool. Yeah. This also struck how we're grounded. Uh, this is also art. And, and, totally. And this concept of art as liberation um, just kind of popped into my brain. I, want to be respectful of your time and your energy but maybe thinking through that that vein of art and liberation what what might be some thoughts that you want people to take away from this conversation yeah yeah what's been amazing is how much art has stimulated my spiritual imagination Am I Mm -hmm. right? I think early on in the book that like theology is imagination. Like if we can't imagine something, we can't even begin to believe it. And so for Mm -hmm. me, seeing the black Madonna was huge for my spiritual imagination because I could finally see, okay, here is a God that is sacred and black and female. And the black Madonnas are, are all art too Mm. right i mean they're Mm -hmm. sacred images Mm -hmm. but they're they're sacred images of art and i have become so connected to black art contemporary black art and also in history and have used so many images by contemporary black artists to infuse my spiritual imagination whether they're figural and they look explicitly like so there are people like harmonio rosales for example who's like re reimagining a lot of the old paintings and putting God as a black female God in those paintings. Mm -hmm. And so you might be familiar with her work. So there are people like her that are doing work that's like subversive in a sort of on the nose kind of way, even though it's also really subversive. And then there are people who are doing work that's just like a lot more, like just not super figurative, a lot more abstract, but even those folks, I'm starting to see like sacredness in their work and the sacredness of what, what a black, body can do when it decides to create something and just how like divine that is. And so it's been really fascinating to um, connect with black artists, contemporary black artists be so inspired by their work. And then I've, I've probably, I probably have 10 to 15 emails from black artists who say your writing has inspired me to make this piece for example. Mm, And so I can, I and I, the people who are listening won't be able to see this, but I'll turn my computer to show you. There's an artist, B. Robert Moore, who about like a year and a half ago messaged me and said, it's because of you that I'm thinking about a black trans Christ. I'm about to pay a black trans Christ. It's because of your writing. And so when I, when he told me that, you know, we were friends and through like social media and everything. And so I, he, I said, okay, well, whenever you paint it, if you get it, if you can give me a chance to buy it first. And he's way out of my price range, but he, he gave, he made it accessible for me and I did like a six month plan. So I have his black trans Christ here in my living room. You guys can see it across the way. 
Um, and so, and he's just an example of one of one artist of, of out of probably fifteen who finds my work exciting to them. And so, it kind of just makes me think, gosh, it's almost like we're in our own little Harlem Renaissance, where like the poets and the theologians and the visual artists and the musicians are all hanging out together and learning from each other and inspiring each other and that feels so healing to me like I'm not doing this work alone like I actually just have to participate in the way that I am called to which is like a lot of writing but I think of myself as a weaver because I, I integrate so well um, and then I can let people like B. Robert or I can let people like Harmonio Rosales or I can let people like Delita Martin whose, whose image is on the cover of my book do their visual artwork and allow that to feed me and we're kind of in this thing and so i think of art as spirituality you know and i think it it, it it awakens me and it's so powerful and so beautiful and i would never have been able to value it like i do now without the sacred black feminine because the sacred black feminine has taught me to relinquish my like over linear over educated like hyper goal-oriented brain and start to value the spirals in life. And art is like, the best art is just trapped in that spiral, <laughs> which is life, you know? Mm. And um, it's so beautiful and so powerful. And I'm just, yeah. yeah. And each of those Black yeah. Madonnas, I mean, many of them have been, many of them have been stolen. Many of them are at risk of being stolen because they're so valuable on the art market. And so one of the Black Madonnas in my book that I talk about was stolen and was, you know, gone for like 12, 15 years and had been resold seven or eight times. And by the time they found her again, they had to, the village had to buy her back. Oh and so, because they're like gorgeous, you know, and many of them are, they're all antiques and many of them are 1500 years old and belonging, you know, museum worthy. Oh yeah. And so people steal them because they're just in these like little like village chapels. Usually the door's not locked. Usually there's nobody there. Um, and so you could someone could just come and steal them. And that's what's happened. Yeah. Except for that um, one that you touched that you went over well, the room. Right. Yeah, I was about there, to say that. I was like, well, you are art. Yeah. You're also like back to the wild. Cause I was like, I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> That but was, was a great opener, opening story. Oh, that was you talk about yeah. reeling the reader in from the beginning. It's like, oh, we got y'all need to go get the book. We're not going to tell you that story on no. here. We all go get nope. the book. Go, get it, get it. Uh, yeah. I still, and it's funny because you know I've been back to France twice for a total of sixteen weeks since I was on that pilgrimage, and that's what Moriac. I still haven't gone back to Moriac. I'm like, I don't know, like. <laughs> Because I mean, I've gone back to many of the Black Madonnas, the same ones, you know, but I'm like, oh man, if there was a cop on the beat that day who saw me mm -hmm. now, they, they would remember me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I totally like, I'm like, uh-oh, like I, and you know, these things are these little villages. I mean, Moriac's not that big and there are mm -hmm. not a lot of Black people. So I'm like, eh, I don't think I should go back there at least for a while because they're probably still looking for me. Um, but yeah, there's that, that one, the Black Madonna Moriac, who's from the 6th century, found in the woods in the 6th century. So wow. she's probably actually even older than that, because usually when they're that old, they're literally just like, they're just an ancient Isis that somebody found in the woods. Or, so, or like they're an ancient Sybil or an ancient, you know, um, um, Artemis or something like that. So she's probably 
twice that old. Wow. <laughs> she's probably 3,000 years old. So she's real old. And then, um, and then the the white black Madonna is the one who is also in like a Fort Knox sort of situation. And mm. yeah, I'll, I'll let I don't know how many of your readers are white women, but there's a whole chapter about white women. Yes, I remember that. And one. We always encourage mm-hmm. yeah. our white bodied listeners go get mm-hmm. your education. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, my editor, because you know my my publisher is Harper Collins, and so my editor is white. I was it was a diverse editorial team, but my lead editor is white, and um, she was like, "Okay, like I think you should say something to white women, because you know white women are going to be drawn to this book." And I was like, "All right," like, and then when I sent her the chapter of like, you know, it was like, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what she was expecting, but I was just like, "And you are the problem." <laughs> so, like, like, so I was like she, she was like well I just want you to say something to say something directly to white women and I was like okay well this is what I have to say like you are white male god most of the time mm-hmm. and yes. like and so if you want to be part of this you got to get into formation yep. um, and so yeah like it was pretty funny because she wanted me to say something in chapter two to white women and I was like no I'll say something to white women. Yeah, but it it ended up being like chapter 10 or something where I was just like, okay. And you guys are in for a treat when you get to that story because she ties it into a Madonna figure and then she she ties it. It's a a very interesting story. The one one final thing that I just want to commend you for that you mentioned early on, and I I never thought about that as a doctoral student, you're I mean a doc I mean a doctoral a PhD a doctor of philosophy. You have to write a thesis and you're used to all this scientific writing. What stood out to me about this was the narrative writing. And I never made that connection that in academia, that's not the type of writing you normally do. So I don't know uh, like what you did, but you nailed it on the narrative storytelling. because I'm a person who, like, at any given time is reading four or five books, and I downloaded the sample chapter, and I was in right then. I mean, from the moment, because you started with that caper, and it was the hook and the fish, and <laughs> you, you reeled the reader in, and you, you wove that narrative throughout. Um, so you did a masterful job of telling a compelling narrative story that was very relatable. Thank you. You know, I think it's, um, it's so, it's so encouraging to hear that, especially from a black woman. I mean, I'm, I, I wrote the book for black women and I just want black women to feel seen through this book. And, but I feel like, um, any art that comes out in this book is a testament to the healing journey that I've been on because I, 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 the more I integrate as a human and the more I connect with my body and the art, the artist within me, the more I'm able to offer that to the world. And I just think for so long, all I could, I just had one note, science, 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 tradition, consensus, you know, rationality. And it's really the sacred black feminine that's taught me how to dwell in possibility and whimsy and mysticism. And those were all things. I mean, I like went to like the top boarding school in the country. I went to an Ivy League college. I got a PhD, graduated with honors, was a Ford Foundation fellow, like all these things. I was on this path where I never could have even valued um, a walk in the woods, much less living in the woods. And Mm -hmm. so um, 
it says a lot about just how much I've healed, which is really encouraging. And, and I think it shares a lot about just what, what humanity is. It's the mixture of science and art. Like that's what it means to be human. And mm-hmm. the sacred feminine is what connects us with that art because toxic masculinity is just trying to kill us. So mm. yeah, it's been really fun to, Thank you. Thank you for. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being mm. wild. Thank you <laughs> for choosing healing and then for mm. the audacity to share that healing um, boldly mm. with the world. Um, if you want to continue learning from Dr. Christina Cleveland, um, you can join her Patreon community. Are there other ways that we should tell our listeners to be in contact totally. in relationship with you? Yeah, yeah. We're starting um, in two weeks. We're starting um, the God as the Black Woman Freedom Journal, which is like going to be a biweekly newsletter. It's free to just resource people. Like if you want to just keep growing in this journey um towards a world where all women and all black people are sacred and free um so we're we'll be sharing that so you can go to my website and get connected um to that free newsletter and we're also in mid-april launching a virtual black madonna pilgrimage to all the black madonnas and god as a black woman and so people can join in on that too which will be like a really fun transformative so experience cool. in oh. a group of other pilgrims <laughs> So, and then hopefully next year we'll have in-person events if that's possible, you know, just in light of this all. pandemic life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So we're going to do virtual for now, which will actually be really powerful and wonderful in its own way. You are my peace. Oh, you are my peace. Yeah. Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permission to be podcast.com to check out the show notes. Get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, permission to be podcast, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>